to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the rabbi, you are the teacher, and that, as it says in John 14, 26, you are leading us into all truth and reminding us of the things that Jesus has said. And so we pray that today you would open our ears and open our eyes and that the amazing things Jesus has said and the things that the Lord is saying right now, that we would hear them. We do wait upon you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for um, just the recalibrations and the transformations that happened in our hearts and minds as we praised you. How good and pleasing it is to sing praises to you, Lord. We thank you, God, that as we praise, as we worship, spiritual foes are, are routed, that they are overcome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that it's uh, thankfulness. By thankfulness, we enter your gates. By praise, we enter your courts. We thank you. I thank you that as we lift you up, our eyes are opened more and more. As we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, it seems as if you encounter us more and more and more. And so we acknowledge you in all of our ways and everything that we, uh, we talk about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I am what I think is an interesting conundrum in the ministry world um, because I, at my heart, I'm a shepherd. I love to pastor. I love uh, being gentle. It's his gentleness that makes us great. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But I also sometimes like to poke the bear you know, you know that phrase, like, don't poke the bear, or, or uh, occasionally, you know, you could call it sacred cow tipping or whatever. Because uh, um, sometimes I feel like the Lord, he, he's a challenging guy. He challenges our old paradigms. And today, I might have what could be considered a challenging word, but probably I'm, for most of all of us that I know, it's probably just uh, something that we are already walking in and and operating in, and we want more and more of it. Um, today, I just want to talk about how to love the world where they're at. Um, happy Halloween, by the way. <laughs> Felicidades, you are haunted by a ghost that you cannot get rid of. That's right, there is no exorcist or deliverance uh, seminar that will get rid of this Holy Ghost. He will not leave. He will not forsake. Isn't this wonderful news? And I don't know about you guys, but there's only one man's spirit that I want to be haunted by, right? <laughs> I don't want other ones rattling around in there with differing opinions, you know? I want the Holy Spirit, and I'm so grateful that we have him. He's been poured out into our hearts, we are irrevocably joined within the mystical union between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have actually been brought into the love relationship between the three to enjoy, participate, and reciprocate. Isn't this just wonderful that forever we get to enjoy the Holy Spirit? 
Um, I know that uh, for, for a lot of believers, Halloween is a, a, a touchy and, and sometimes uh, scary uh, topic. It, you know, it's like the intercessor's Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> like this is what we've been training for, folks. <laughs> Spiritual Warfare Olympics. Um, <laughs> Um, but I just want to give you the good news that we don't have to stay up all night the next night or, the, or, or tonight on prayer vigils with oils and shofars and soaking worship music. I love those things, like oils and shofars and soaking worship music are amazing, but something that I hate is fear and escapism. We all know this. We know that God right now is kicked back laughing at the plans of the enemy. That's what it says in Psalm 2, like the, the nations are raging and kings are positioning, like God is laughing at the posturing of the enemy, like, oh, you're going to try that? All right. You know, and we, we get to enter into that same kind of rest and demeanor, like, let's just, let's have a good laugh about that. And let's breathe a sigh of Holy Spirit-filled relief. Do you guys know uh, where a ghost loves to go on vacation? Malibu. <laughs> knock, knock. Philip. Fill up my bag with candy, please. <laughs> this body. I want us to love the world, not love worldliness, not love the ways of the world. I want us to love, like ridiculously love the people of this world. And the same kind of love as in like, for God so loved the world that he sent, or for God so loved the world, he came into it in a way where he could be affected by the world. Not infected, but affected. I want us to be the kind of body that just loves and serves our neighbors. And I want to give you good news that we're the contagious ones. We have light emanating from within us, a light that dispels the darkness. And we don't have to fear being contaminated by darkness, especially when we are going out in the spirit of love. It says that he would never give something that poisons us if we're asking for good things. That's what it says in Luke 11. So we're not joining any like pagan rituals. We're not even paying lip service to them. We're looking at the greatest opportunity to come and shine. And we're taking that opportunity. You know, there's, um, there's a sense the there are people who think it's just, it's time to like, close and lock the doors and, and draw the curtains and, and turn off the light. But I might ask, is, is there any way for us to be in the world, but not of the world? but we have to be in the world. Is there any way for us to fulfill Jesus's calling to be sent out like sheep, even among wolves? And really what Jesus, the, the wolves that Jesus was talking about in that 
particular time were actually the religious. He was warning you like the <laughs> Jesus didn't really have problems like hanging out with pagans and polytheistic and he, he went to the parties, he hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. The ones that gave him the real problems were the ones who thought they had God figured out. The religious. It's, which means like, honestly, I'm more cautious walking into some churches than into the home of a false God worshiper. Sorry, that was a little feisty, wasn't it? <laughs> I think Jesus modeled this kind of life for us. He incarnated his pure, loving, holy self into what would seem like a never-ending Halloween party. Like into the darkest time, the brightest light came. He immersed himself, surrounded himself with pagan worshipers, with people who were demonized by religious spirits, by the polytheistic world of ancient Rome. He was hanging out with people who were uh, apprehended, imprisoned, and sometimes demonized by all sorts of self-indulgence. He even surrounded himself with those who would seek to harm and kill him. Jesus didn't wait outside parties for people to sacrifice a goat, enabling him to go into their mess. If we have this concept of God that says he, he distances himself from the sinful, then we need to invite Jesus into our God's heart. Should I back up into pastoral language? <laughs> if we think that God wouldn't like hug a, a prostitute, a prodigal, or a pagan until they repented, then we need a better view of Jesus, who is God. He loved us when we were messed up. Y'all are still messed up. I, I got it figured out, but y'all... <laughs> He is loving us in the middle of our messes. We don't even realize sometimes that we have altars in our hearts set, set up to false gods, and he still parties with us. We don't need to fear the world because the unseen realm shakes at our arrival. There's a guy named David Hogan. He's this famous missionary he found the darkest place in Central America to set up, like to put a stake in the ground. Like he, he looked for it, like the Lord sent him there, but he wanted to go. He actually says this, he loves being in atmospheres where darkness is crushing in on him from all directions. And he feels the more powerful spirit of God pressing out from within him, holding the darkness at bay. That's where he loves to live. In Acts 17, Paul went to one of the, the darkest places. He went to uh, the Athenians and uh, this place called the Areopagus or Areopagus, depending on where you put the emphasis. He, <laughs> this place was, <laughs> this place was full of idols. I mean, it was a raunchy town. And he thought, this, this is where I want to go. Like, this is, this is where the Spirit of the Lord would lead me, into the, the darkest 
places. I'm talking he was walking around and there's the whole place is dedicated to idols and altars to uh, demons and fallen angels and animal worship. I mean, he actually said, I see you're religious in every way. In other words, like you somehow collected all the religions here. You got them all. <laughs> actually, let's read it. This is Acts 17, 23. Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city, or as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, although he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. What an amazing pastoral moment that Paul has stepped into with a people who uh, would be really easy to write off, would be really easy to judge, would be really easy to say they're too far gone, they're too messed up. What, um, what Paul was talking about, this altar to the unknown God, um, there's a story behind it. It says... Um, there's this legend, but it's been verified by a bunch of different historians, but they said that there was a plague before Paul's time in this area, and this plague was gnarly. And so the, the locals there were setting up altars to any god they could think of to worship or sacrifice to in order to stop this plague, and it, but nothing was working. It wasn't stopping, and so they said, well, let's set up you know, kind of like a catch-all. Let's do an altar to the God that we don't know about. And when they did that, the plague stopped. And I think that sometimes we have this thing that enters our minds, like we have to worship God perfectly in order for it to be worshipped. But in this moment, God looked at these people wanting to stop this plague, wanting to save people. And he says, good enough. That'll do. And Paul begins to say, this is the God that you don't know about. You may have worshiped him almost on accident, not knowing anything about what he's like. And then he begins to say what he's like. 
And then he, he invites them into repenting, into changing the way that they live and posturing their hearts rightly before this unknown God who has now been proclaimed rightly to them. I think this is Paul meeting the world where the world is at. I think that this is Paul speaking to them in a language they understand. He even quoted their own poets, which has made it into eternal scripture. This wouldn't have happened if Paul was back in his tent, tightly latched, praying for them from a distance. Sean Bowles, uh, you guys probably heard Sean Bowles. He's this cool prophetic voice uh, from the West Coast. Uh, way, way, way back in the day, I heard him telling a story about how um, he and his friends would like to go to New Age festivals and places that witches would hang out. Um, it just got a little uncomfortable, didn't it? He would, he, he would look for opportunities to find the, the gnarliest places, and he would go in them and just go loving people. And he would speak to them in a language they could understand. In fact, uh, there's this one story of a guy he went up and asked, um, asked him, um, who's your spirit guide? And the guy you know, was, started talking, you know, and now they've got a conversation. And, and Sean was like, um, I have a spirit guide. Uh, his name is King. And I can actually introduce you to him. All I have to do is lay my hand on you. And people that I do this for, they meet my spirit guide, whose name is King. And so the guy was, was he was game. He's like, I, yeah, I want to experience that. And so Sean, born again, Holy Ghost loving believer, has his hand on the shoulder of a guy who is so lost. He's got the open door, the opportunity, and he begins to pray. And, and, and Sean is interviewing, and he's saying, yeah, I feel different. I feel like joy and warmth and, I don't know, like peace. And he's, he's just describing, and he, he's describing what it feels like when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, he, and Sean's saying, yes, that's him. And as he's praying, he says, hey, while, while I'm praying with my spirit guide for you here, um, I noticed that you've got some Klingons, <laughs> some like dark things. And he begins to describe some oppression that this guy was experiencing, demonic, like spiritual oppression. And, and the guy's like, yeah. And he's asking him, do you deal with this? He's like, yeah. And do you deal with this? He's like, yeah, how do you know these things? And he's like, the, my king is telling me. Would you like us to take care of them? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And so now, now he's in deliverance mode, right? He still hasn't even like, tried to introduce him to the Hebrew God named Jesus. Like, <laughs> he has, he's speaking to him in his language. So now the guy has encountered the spirit of love, and he's gotten free from these... Uh, demonic, these spiritual oppressions, and Sean begins to actually introduce him to the God that he never knew. Another guy that I, I love is uh, a guy named Rick Stoker. He's an evangelist on the East Coast, and I've hung out with Rick and actually gone out ministering with him, and uh, he 
He's the type of guy who will dress homeless and not shower for several days in order to go and be accepted by the homeless community. Doesn't that sound like someone else we know? And he would get in their world and befriend them. And he said that um, he got one of the best friends of his life through doing this because um, they would, homeless people are looking for someone that they can trust, that they can sleep back to back with. And so he befriended this guy and they would uh, sleep in shifts so that they wouldn't get robbed back to back. My, my friends, you know, and uh, he would say things like, sometimes it's way more sacred and powerful to give someone a cigarette than a meal because in that moment, what they would feel the most love from something that would, they would feel figuratively would just save their lives and mean so much as a cigarette. Now, Jesus came to us. We're so lost. And he spoke to us in our language. He spoke to uh, the, the Jews, the Israelites in that time in their language by talking about bread and wine, something that they eat with every meal. And, and he's relating in that moment saying, that's me. Eat this bread and drink this cup in my name and I'm there with you, empowering you. He's making himself accessible because you know, unleavened bread and wine was so accessible. You know, when, uh, there, you pro- you've probably heard me tell this story. It's one of my favorites, but there's a, a Bible translation ministry that was trying to get the Bible translated into, like, every language. You know, just tons of languages around the world and been super successful. And, but they went to this, you know, island nation that was really far removed from Western culture. And, and so when they were translating through John, they, they ran into trouble when they got to John 6, which I talked about like when we received communion. John 6, they had so much trouble because this nation had never eaten bread. They've never seen it. They don't grow wheat, and they don't know what wine is, and they, don't know, they certainly don't know the difference between leavened and unleavened bread if they've never seen bread to begin with. And so it just isn't making any sense to them. And, but what is a staple of their diet and livelihood and accessible in their world it's bananas. <laughs> when you read their Bible and you get to John chapter 6, our Savior, I'm talking, these words are in red. When you read their Bible, it reads like this. Your forefathers ate the bananas that came down from the heavens, but he who eats of this banana shall live forever. I tell you the truth, my flesh is banana indeed. He who eats of this banana shall live forever. Seven times the word banana appears in one chapter. Because Jesus wants to meet people where they're at and say, I am the thing that sustains you and brings you joy. I am accessible. You know, the world, they have broken love languages. 
And there's nothing wrong with meeting them where they're at. When I say like broken love languages, like the, the world responds really well to candy and money. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I, I think, yeah, Israel Lambert. You in here, Israel, or are you serving with children? Again, like a champion, he is. Israel Lambert has this great story about he was going through a drive through and he felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to begin to prophesy over this guy and gave him an accurate prophetic word. And the guy's like, how do you know these? Like, oh, man, I'm so encouraged. Thank you so much. And so Israel thought like, well, this, this isn't good enough. This isn't done. So he parks, you know, after going through the drive through and goes in and asks to meet the guy. And after he gets a moment away from like frying French fries or whatever, he, the guy comes out and Israel begins to prophesy over him more. And, and it has to do with his, his music gifting and what he's called to and all this stuff. And Israel has a $100 bill in his hand. And he, he does one of those, you know, charis, charismatic past the $100 bill things, you know, where you clap and hug. Anybody ever, you know, experienced that? It's one of my favorite ways to get a hug when there's a $100 bill in that hand. Um, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> you know, he is, uh, he's a white dude in his 40s, hugging a young black man, handing him a $100 bill, prophesying his identity over him, and the, the guy begins to weep. He's, he is meeting this kid where he's at. Um, uh, another guy who comes to our church, his name's Sandin. He often plays guitar. He tells a story where um, he owed someone like 50 bucks, and, uh, but the Lord whispered to him and said, give him $1,000. And uh, this guy uh, believed that he was a homosexual. And, but Sandin, he's generous and loving and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And so instead of giving the guy 50 bucks, he gives him $1,000. The guy comes to Sandin in private, and he's already crying. And he said, um, I just got a phone call yesterday, my dad diagnosed with cancer and it's really really bad and it doesn't have long to live and they live on the other side of the country and my mom was begging me to come visit and I didn't have the money to do it until now question was Sandin financing homosexuality of course not he was loving a broken man where he was at. I want us to figuratively, like Jesus, incarnate ourselves in the darkness of this world that his light would shine from us. I want us to keep our doors open and lights on and give out the best candy. Now here's my, my balanced pastoral moment We've got to protect our kids, obviously, yes, but I think the best protection for our kids is to invite them into this mission with us and tell our kids, we're going to make everyone we meet feel like the most special person that they, you know, ever. We're going to love everyone deeply. We're going to give out high fives and hugs and candy, and we're going to have a blast meeting our neighbors. Also, I'm not your Holy Spirit. You can do whatever you want. I'm just telling you and inviting you into a way that I choose to see this opportunity to go and love the world. And finally, I, I want to let you know that the enemy can't create. He only twists. 
So let's just take this night back for love. Whether it's tonight or tomorrow night, I don't know, when your neighborhood is doing whatever. Um, uh, but Jesus multiplied food for hungry people, and he met people where they're at. And, you know, I just I want to choose to believe that that's not 364 days a year. That's every, every night. And, and I want to feed those cute little neighbors, um, you know, good things. And, you know, Jesus...